Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. It is it is 707 in the Twin Cities, 86 degrees. Uh, great to be with you on this Saturday night. Uh, really tough news out of London. We are continuing to monitor that. Uh, if you're just joining us, there has been an apparent terrorist attack. Uh, there are multiple fatalities. A white truck plunging uh, or driving right into a crowd of pedestrians on the London Bridge, one of the iconic uh, fixtures in London. Uh, there are two other sites reportedly involved in this attack. Obviously, many people, uh, more than one suspect involved. We are going to continue to keep you updated throughout the evening along with CBS News. We will have an update from London uh, in about uh, 12 minutes or so. Uh, so we will keep you updated on that. But you know something? Um, we need a break. <laughs> we need something positive and something uh, uplifting and, and a little fun to talk about because uh, – these are tough times, and so I'm really glad that we have our, our next guest. James Norton is the editor of The he- Heavy Table. He also runs a culinary retreat chef camp, and he's here to talk, us, talk to us about the current food scene, including some losses of some pretty popular restaurants recently. Uh, James Norton, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. And listen, I, I do want to say, you know, for anybody who enjoys food or kind of getting, you know, a look at what, what's up in the local landscape, you know, you, you, you do a wonderful job of not just featuring maybe something that might be a little spendy, but you, you really, I think, make an effort on your website, which is called HeavyTable.com, to really kind of go across the spectrum of, of the food offerings out there. Has that always been sort of the mission of Heavy Table? Yeah, I, I would have to say, uh, in an uncomplicated way, our mission is to find the good food, and I think that happens all up and down the price spectrum, and sort of all up and down the formality spectrum. Uh, you know, there's some some wonderful, wonderful places that are just holes in the wall, and there's some wonderful places that have uh, white tablecloths and uh, a lot of pomp and circumstance. And we really try to be, uh, you know, unbiased and get to them all. Let me ask you, what is your take on the latest sort of big restaurant closing Brewer's Table? Because we have lost a lot of really great restaurants, maybe ones that are on the little higher end of the spectrum. But these are awesome places. Yeah, I mean, I think we have seen over the last few years some really high-profile places. Uh, Brewer's Table, uh, Birdie, the in-house restaurant at Nighthawks, which is also very kind of high-concept, uh, Piccolo, La Belle Vie. Uh, Vincent, a restaurant, you know, it's been it's been quite a toll in in one way, but in another way, you know, I track this kind of stuff and I uh, sort of look at what's coming in and what's going out, and we're still seeing something like a two to one ratio of openings versus closures really? here in in the Twin Cities metro. Yeah, I think it's it's still a pretty heavy boom time, and the thing is, the places that are closing, some of them been around for five, ten, twelve years, and so I think we feel, really feel their loss. But you know, coming up, we've got new places, Young Joni. Burning it up in Northeast, Bella Cour out in Wazetta, Esker Grove at the Walker, uh, the Lexington is reopened on Grand, Katanomise went into the old origami space. So there's, uh, there's a lot of heat and there's a lot of action and there's a lot of high-end stuff going on, too, that maybe is newer and fresher so people haven't uh, 
become acquainted with it. I haven't been going there for five or six years, but you know, I don't think our market lacks for uh, restaurants at any end of the the spectrum, price wise. Right? Is it just that you kind of have to be um, sort of always evolving if you're going to, or do you have to sort of fit into a niche? I mean. I think in some cases, uh, either the chef owners uh, or the concepts that the restaurants revolve around just start to get tired. Um, you know, look at a guy like uh, Vincent at Vincent, a restaurant is a fantastic chef. You know, he's now doing the sort of food program for Kara Irish pubs. Uh, and he really retired on his own terms. He went out with like this, this sort of great record under his belt. And now he's got a little more time to spend with his family. Uh, and I see a lot of that. There, there, there's, there's, there are people kind of changing up and going in a new direction. Right. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think, you know, we're seeing some of the older, more classic white tablecloth stuff is a little, it's a little less in. People don't want the formality in the same way that they used to. And so you can, you can, you can drop a lot of money at a place like Young Joni, for example, uh, but it's going to be in a more casual, kind of fun, um, more modern-feeling environment. Well, I, you know, I, I know that some of these restaurants in Vincent, which which I thought was just fabulous, and, and I can certainly understand, you know, uh, the desire to spend more time with your family, but I feel like some of these restaurants in the downtown area especially really were, were hit uh, and got got hit by, by the construction. Yeah. Uh, I, both I, both of the, uh, at the Walker, but also in downtown Minneapolis. Yeah, I think, and you look at a place like Brasserie Central, which I thought was just absolutely fabulous when it was open. I think they had a tough location, and I think downtown Minneapolis is maybe the last place I would open a restaurant personally. The North Loop has got a ton of heat, and I see a lot of places opening there. But also, you're you're able to find some really excellent uh, places out in various neighborhoods now. I think people have seen the advantage of being identified with a particular suburb or particular neighborhood. You know, look at Stephen Brown's... uh, St. Genevieve, for example, he's just crushing it out there. So, you know, I think you mean in have... in Linden Hills. Yeah, in Linden Hills. Yeah, that's very good. I yeah, that that is that is a lot of fun. I guess yeah, it's just and, and I'm I'm somebody that works downtown, so I I know I know the area, and I mean I had trouble getting into work tonight, you know? <laughs> and and I I know my way around really well. I mean I called in, you know, Jonathan. I'm coming, but just I, you know, all these roads are closed and 394 is a mess. Uh, so I, I think that that is unfortunate, and I, and I do think that maybe perhaps the city of Minneapolis needs to address that. But you're right. I mean, the the, the um, uh, other parts of downtown, like or northeast, and certainly um, uh, the North Loop, are just red hot. Yeah, and and I've I've heard from restaurateurs and chefs too that if you look at the environment and the relationship with the city in Minneapolis versus St. Paul. You know, I think St. Paul has really made uh, helping sustain restaurants and, and start up restaurants more of a priority. And I think that kind of makes for a different environment. So I think there's some things that could happen on the the government level and the regulatory level to uh, to make downtown Minneapolis a, a little bit more vibrant, because I think you're right. If you look around that scene, things are things are struggling. But you just go Go up to the North Loop. You go up to Northeast, and uh, and I think the scene is really still on fire. I'm not sure when this is going to stop, but uh, it's it's doing really well. Chat, chatting with James Norton, who's the editor of the Heavy Table, HeavyTable.com. Um, if you, it's just it's a really great website. I mean, I, and I, I really say that sincerely. I just think if you're interested in food, if you're interested in ingredients, it's just got sort of fun information about events. You know, different restaurant reviews. Uh, it's just, it, you know, it's it's a very well done site. In terms of what where you're sitting, um, what are some of the most interesting things about this time of year in in Minnesota, which is really 
every every time of the year is great, but the summer really is special in a lot of ways when it comes to food because obviously you have all these this produce, you have these fabulous farmers markets as well. Well, I mean, I think the farmers markets are are fabulous, and that starts to change the way menus look at different restaurants. I also think patios become a thing again, which everybody loves, and we can kind of get out and be in the sun again, which I think is fantastic. I actually went out with my family today and did a, a picnic with uh, potato salad and fried chicken. So I think that's uh, that's the sort of thing that's harder to do in March. Uh, and I think, you know, I think we see people in the metro area are more willing to road trip it uh, in, in the summer, which is fantastic because it opens up interesting spots like uh, Stockholm, Wisconsin, or Red Wing, or getting up to the North Shore, you know, to uh, Duluth or Grand Marais. Which you have, and you have a whole, and you, you've even written about that, you know, yourself personally, but you have a whole section on your website about that. Yeah, we, uh, we we really like to try to get out of the metro whenever possible. But this time of year, it just seems a lot more doable, doable to kind of, you know, crank down the windows and, and take, a, take a ride and, and discover something new. And it's, the fact is that thing, interesting things are happening all over the state. That's one of the most fun things about the food scene right now. And I think some of that has to come just the way that, uh, you know, brew pubs and craft beer has become uh, such a huge presence. Now every small town has got its own its own brew, its with its own character, and I think that's a lot of fun to kind of get out there and discover that. You know, I also see just sort of in different places, um, you know, the celebration of, of the Minnesota farmer, and you know, the Minnesota cheesemaker, and just all these sort of little, um, you know, great entities that are out there that are that are creating such wonderful foods for all of us to eat. Yeah, I think that the, the the food artisans are really kind of coming into their their heyday. I actually sat down with uh, uh, Debbie Morrison, who's the head of the newly formed Minnesota Cider Guild, uh, and we talked about cider making in Minnesota. And it's a it's an old traditional art that kind of got lost along the way. And you got some you know really big kind of uh, cruddy, super sugary ciders out there. And and now we've got local uh, apple orchards kind of taking it back and making ciders that are a lot more refined, a lot more parable with food, uh, drier, more complex, really delicious. So if you're ever, you know, ever looking to try something new, Minnesota cider is, is really blowing up right now. Right. And well, who's got better apples in Minnesota? Uh, precisely. precisely. <laughs> yeah, we, we are, we're in a good position. And cider, cider is really nationwide becoming a thing. So I think, uh, I think we're kind of in a catbird seat. And, and well, and you, you address, you know, these kinds of things as well, but, but the whole, um, the spirits and the brew pubs and all of that is just a scene that seems to have exploded. Uh, yeah. it, it just even in the past few years. Yeah, well, and some of that has happened on sort of the the uh, the legal side of things. Laws have been loosened up, and uh, expenses have been reduced, and uh, some of the red tape has been cut, which has been uh, absolutely fantastic. But what I think is really neat is that sort of as local distilling uh, uh, blows up and as local brewing blows up, that really changes what restaurants are doing in terms of pairing and what they serve at their restaurants, and even kind of informs the way people are cooking. Um, so I think it just adds this really wonderful kind of depth and complexity with, to what's going on. Uh, I was just at Tattersall the other day. It's a distillery up in northeast Minneapolis, and they've got a, a cabin cocktail a recipe book that just came out on their website as a PDF. Anyone can just download it for free, and they're kind of bringing great spirits out into the great outdoors, which I think is awesome. In terms of, you know, any any recommendations for those folks in terms of, you know, who might be looking maybe like one high end, one low end. I don't mean to put you on the spot or a couple. I mean, you, you're the expert here, uh, James Norton of HeavyTable.com. In terms of beer or spirits? Or... No, or no, just, just, you know, restaurants or maybe even a farmer's market or something to try. That... Oh, sure. Um, let me think here. 
I went to uh, Travail out in Robbinsdale. See, I've never been there, and I'm dying to go. (laughs) It's a really interesting place. They've got kind of almost a rock and roll attitude, but they've been doing these chef spotlight dinners. Okay. And so it's... uh, And you got to get tickets, right? You got to get tickets, and they're actually not that expensive. I want to say around fifty for a multi-course meal. And this is uh, and this this place has gotten re- written up across the nation. You know, so fifty for some people might be high, but this is supposed to be like really it, one of the coolest places to eat anywhere. They will feed you very well. Uh, I thought I thought the value process prospect was fantastic. Really surprising, really innovative stuff. Um, so I think I think on the higher end, that's uh, that's okay. kind of a really a really fun place to go. And a little bit more affordable and approachable, uh, Revival, uh, which is kind of known for their fried oh. chicken, but they do a lot of, you know, you know Revival? Well, you know something? I lived in the South and was a reporter in the South and covered extensively Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas. And I do like Southern foods. And this place is really good. I mean, it's yeah. really good. It's really they're, good. They're okay. super, they're super okay. legit. And uh, they've got uh, either in St. Paul and, uh, and uh, Minneapolis. So right. it's fairly easy to get to. Mm-hmm. Great tips. Go- well, listen, uh, Jason, and I apologize. I'm going to have to cut you off because I think oh, we're getting sure, a new yeah. special report. But great advice. I love the website, folks. Heavytable.com. Thank you so much for joining us, James. Let's go now to W to CCA. Esme Murphy with you on a very busy Saturday night. It is 723 here in the Twin Cities. Um, we are monitoring and will continue to monitor the situation in London. Um, the Prime Minister of United Kingdom, Theresa May, saying that they are treating this as a potential terror attack. There are conflicting reports on how many casualties there are. Um, Obviously, there are multiple people dead. That has been confirmed by numerous news sources, uh, according to CBS News, and we will continue to take their updates. Uh, There are at least three locations for this incident, including uh, the London Bridge, where uh, apparently a truck ran into uh, a group of bystanders hitting as many as 20 people. Then there are two separate locations in London uh, where apparently there are additional injuries and there are reports of people being stabbed. This all broke here, uh, central time uh, in the Twin Cities, at about 4.45. It's a six-hour time difference. So that would be 10.45 London time. This is obviously a Saturday evening. Uh, It is a... Late spring, early summer evening, a lot of people out. These are prime tourist areas, and this is, of course, happening just a couple of weeks after that horrific incident at the Ariana Grande uh, concert in Manchester, and then also uh, a few weeks before that, we had the incident on the Westminster Bridge. So clearly an awful lot going on. I I can tell you that President Trump uh, has tweeted in reaction that while he stands with people of Britain uh, willing to help uh, in whatever way he can, he has said his first tweet did mention uh, the travel ban, saying this, what happened here, is an example of why his travel ban needs to be implemented. And we'll chat with Professor David Schultz about that uh, in our 8 o'clock hour. That travel ban was struck down. It's been struck down by a number of courts. It was struck down uh, once again uh, by a court of appeals and the president vowing to take it to the U.S. Supreme Court. One thing I should say is that it is not at all clear uh, who perpetrated these attacks if they were, in fact, British nationals. Because what we have found in both some of these attacks, both here in this country and in Great Britain, is that people who committed these attacks 
were often, in fact, citizens of that country. So uh, we will, that remains to be seen. But anyway, a very chaotic situation in London, uh, and we will continue to monitor that with special reports from CBS News. Uh, coming up in our next half hour, uh, we will visit with Paul Huguenin. He is the director of Ag Marketing Division with the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, and we're going to talk about community-supported agriculture. This is something that has just continued to explode in popularity. It's called CSAs, and if you aren't familiar with that term, we'll get you up to speed. But more and more Minnesotans are signing on to CSAs, and what it is is you get a share every week or half week or you get half a share of a whole bunch of farm produce. And it's not just vegetables and fruits. Uh, some CSAs now have meats or eggs or flowers. And again, more and more people are doing this. This is actually helping both farmers and also the general public. And the University of Minnesota is doing a great job promoting this and also helping people with a guide to where they can find a CSA that might be best suited to them, uh, how they can get the pickup spot. It's, it's kind of a cool thing. And then in the 8 o'clock hour, certainly an awful lot to talk about uh, with Professor David Schultz. Obviously, the situation in London, uh, the president's, uh, again, standing by his travel ban, which has had nothing but trouble in the courts. We also would like to visit with uh, Professor Schultz about the announcement by the president to withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord, something that has proved very controversial and has received a great deal of criticism, although the president's most diehard, diehard supporters are standing by him on that. i uh, also like to talk to him about the situation where I guess the legislature might sue the governor or they're going to sue the governor over what happened with the breakdown of the legislature. There won't be a government shutdown, but what happens when the two sides sue each other? Could it get any more complicated? But first, uh, we are going to take a break, and then when we come back, uh, we'll give you some weather, and then we'll have the latest at the bottom of the hour from CBS News. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Well, it is 734 here in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Uh, we will continue to take updates from CBS News on the tragic and horrific developments in London where there has been a terrorist attack, according to the Prime Minister, and there are multiple casualties. Uh, there are varying reports of how many people have been killed. Uh, there are others who have been stabbed. Uh, we do know that the attacks have occurred in three different spots in London, according to CBS News. Uh, the first attack apparently involved a white truck plowing into a group of pedestrians on the London Bridge, and then there were stabbing attacks in two other locations. Again, uh, in about uh, 15 minutes' time, we will take give, it, give you an update from CBS News in London. But first, we want to visit uh, this half hour with Paul Huguenin, who is the Director of Ag Marketing uh, at the Minnesota Department of Agriculture and oversees the what's called the Minnesota Grown Program about community-supported agriculture. Now, that's all a mouthful. You may have probably heard about it more as something called CSAs. Well, more and more people are taking part and participating in CSAs. It is an affordable way to get a lot of really great fruits and vegetables as well as other produce, including eggs and meats and cheese and flowers. And this CSAs has just really exploded in popularity uh, over the past decade. Uh, so, Mr. Huguenin, thank you so much for coming on. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? You've got it right on. Thank you so okay. much, Esme. All right. All right. Let me ask you, first of all, tell us, what is a CSA? Well, a CSA is, is a different way to 
buy produce directly from a farmer. It, a lot of people think of it, and rightfully so, as subscription farming. Because basically you pay the farmer up front, and then you get a weekly delivery of the items that that farmer harvests throughout the season. And so the products vary from farm to farm, and, and the consumer gets to, to pick and choose the products they like best and find a farm that fits their uh, their preferences. But um, the, the key elements are you pay up front, you get a weekly delivery, and there's also an element of, of shared risk and reward because you are now kind of in the game with the farmer, so to speak. Right. And can't you get like – you can get like different kinds of shares, right? I mean depending on, on which – you know, which each CSA does it slightly differently, but you can, in a lot of cases, you can get like a half a share. Yes, and that's a really good way to start. Most people, even people who really believe that they eat very healthy, um, are amazed by the volume of produce that they get in a weekly share. And so, a, a, one thing that people often do is they'll split it with a neighbor or a coworker or a friend, and that's a good way to kind of. Uh, um, step into uh, being a CSA member. And in terms of, um, you know, where can people get information about the CSAs that are out there uh, here in Minnesota? Sure. So the Minnesota Department of Agriculture publishes an annual directory, the Minnesota Grown Directory, and it's free. Um, you can order a free copy on our website at minnesotagrown.com, all spelled out. Um, and you can also search online. So you can put in your zip code and you can say, okay, who, what CSA farms are near me? The thing that's interesting about CSA farms is that um, because most CSA farms have delivery points, so it's not so much um, where the farm is located, but you can find a drop site that's uh, in your neighborhood. So it makes it really easy to pick up your weekly share. All right. And this isn't just vegetables anymore. I mean, I, I you know, I'm on your site here. I see wine. I see wild rice. I see foie gras. I see eggs, dairy products, all kinds of things. Yeah, so our website is, it really is, it's its a very diverse. I mean, Minnesota's ag economy is very diverse. We have producers of just about everything in this state. And so people can find, you know, wineries, berry farms, strawberry season starts in 7 to 10 days. Um, and even in CSA farms, the variety is is uh, very broad. Um, we have people who use the CSA model to deliver meat. Oftentimes you have an option of a flower share if you want to get fresh flowers once a week. Um, and so there really is a chance to pick out a farm that fits the fits your needs and, and what you like to get on a weekly basis. All right. I, just, I actually just clicked on your meat and poultry section. And if you want to see what uh, we're talking about, uh, the, the website is great, minnesotagrown.com. And it talks about all the different CSAs. But if you click on the meat uh, – Elk, emu, fish, game birds, uh, rabbit. Is, is that really all? You can get all of that through – and obviously there's beef yeah. and chicken as well. But you can – buffalo, you, you, beefalo, you can get all that through a CSA? Well, not so much through a CSA because the, the website Minnesota Grown has a whole bunch of different products. And one of the categories you can find is CSA okay. or community-supported ag. Um, there are CSA farms that do um, include meat and eggs and um, other products like that. Um, but you can also you know, find a bison farm and take a tour of a buffalo farm in Minnesota. So there's all sorts of things people can do. You can even find a farm stay 
bed and breakfast in Minnesota grown. Um, wow. So there's, yeah, it's it, Minnesota is a wonderful agricultural state. And yes, we have some of the um, most prolific producers of corn, soybeans, beef and dairy in the world. But we also have some pretty unique things that people might not necessarily think of. And you mentioned several with emu and elk and bison. Um, we're chatting with uh, Paul Huganen, uh, who oversees Minnesota Grown Program. We're talking about community-supported agriculture and how you as a family or you know, you can join with your neighbor and get a share uh, and you either pick it up in some cases. I, I think most, most of these involve either picking it up at, at a central location near you. Uh, some people, I think, actually go out to the farm, don't they? That's true. Um, kind of the origins of CSA farms, that's kind of how it started, is you would go to the farm once a week, pick up your box, and it was actually very common when CSAs kind of launched about 20 years ago that you would actually um, spend some hours working on the farm as well. Now, that's not as common. There still may be some opportunities to do that. Um, but it is fairly common for a farm to say, we're going to have a customer open house day where you can come out to the farm. But uh, I would say the vast majority of CSA customers are picking it up at uh, a church or a co-op or uh, a central house in their neighborhood. And I know that the prices can vary. Can you kind of walk us through? Because I think a lot of people here are saying, well, this sounds kind of cool, but how much is this? Yeah. Um, can you walk it, us through that? Because I know that there's a range. Yeah, there's a, it, it's actually a almost an infinite range. But even if you're going to buy a partial share, people should figure that um, – a 14 to 20 week subscription is going to start in that 250 350 dollar range and then you can spend you know 750 towards $1000 but what people need to realize is that And that um, sounds like people are going whoa yeah <laughs> and so so what you need to realize is that there are so many variables in that um some of them are 14 weeks some of them are 20 weeks um some of them include things like meat and eggs and flowers. Um, some of them include, you know, like a chicken or two a month. And so you it really is so difficult to give people a price. And, and, and what folks need to really do is just kind of say, you know what, let me poke around the website. I'll call one or two. I'll look at their website and see what the ranges are. Um, it really is a case where whatever your price range or price point is and whatever your preference for product um, selection is, there's going to be a farm that makes uh, offers something for you that you can you can find close by. All right. And, and what happens, I think people are saying, you know, gosh, I'm not a farmer and I, you know, and obviously farmers do such an extraordinary job, but they deal with an awful lot of risk. Yes. What happens when you, you sign up and it's not a great year? Yeah, and and that can happen. What at its truest form, a CSA membership is shared risk. And so, if the farmer you buy a share from is, you know, loses a crop of tomatoes to hail, um, you won't be getting tomatoes in your box or your basket that year. But what folks need to realize is that farmers with a CSA are producing a variety of products. And so if it's a bad year for tomatoes, maybe it's a really good year for strawberries. And so um, what most farmers will do um, is rather than, than kind of leave their customers out to dry, most of those farmers will partner with other farmers in Minnesota and say, wow, we had a... Uh, 
disease that wiped out our tomatoes this year. So we partnered with a, a farm down the road. We traded them some of our cucumbers for some of their tomatoes. So you're going to get some. So it's um, there is some uh, element of risk if a farmer really has a has a horrible year. Um, you'll see less in your weekly delivery. But the flip side is, is if the farmer is uh, has a great year, then you're going to see a lot of things in your in your delivery, and that's more common because uh, fruit and vegetable growers in Minnesota, they're irrigating, they're using technology like high tunnels to give them additional protection from frost and to extend the season. Um, so th- there's always an element of risk, but it's uh, farmers in Minnesota are very good. So the best website you recommend is going to Minnesota Grown. Yeah, because we're statewide. So, you know, we literally, there are CSA farms from north of Red Lake Falls, Minnesota, down to the Iowa border and everything in between. Um, so it's statewide. We're the most in, most uh, inclusive directory in terms of Minnesota producers that there is. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. So. And, you know, and I think people might, you know, be listening to us and kind of go, oh, God, this really sounds kind of risky. But I think one, one, one of the things, though, that I think is the testament to how well this is working and how much people like it is how much you have grown. Oh. Um, can, can you kind of quantify that? Because, I mean, for, any, for skeptics out there, people who have tried this have not only embraced it, but they've told all their friends, and it's just exploded. Right. It really has. And so the growth has been dramatic. Um, we've been publishing directories for since back in the, in the 1980s. There wasn't even a category for CSA farms in our directory until 1996, and we didn't break 10 CSA farms until the 2000s. Ten years ago, in 2007, our directory had less than 20 CSA farms. This year's has 84. Wow. Okay. And so in a decade, you've you've multiplied by a factor of four. Um, you know, and and our site also lists the drop sites. So there are over 200 drop sites. Um, represented by those 84 farms. So you really can find somebody, find a drop site location that's, that's going to be near you. And, and you, just, you, don't, you just don't have that kind of growth right. <laughs> unless, unless, unless it's working and unless people really, really enjoy it and, and think it's great. Are there, um, and I was talking about the growth in terms of the consumer, but in terms of farmers, are there now more, obviously more small farms for doing this kind of thing? I mean, has this led into an explosion of, of this kind of farming in Minnesota? Well, what we've seen is two kind of related things happen. Is There are farms who have um, started on the basis of being a CSA farm, and that is what they do. We've also seen farms who have been doing fruits and vegetables for five generations who have added a CSA option to their oh. marketing mix. So we well, why not? Because it's obviously a success. Yeah, people want it. Um, people want that connection to the farm. Um, And one of the big draws to being a CSA member is it really is a way, um, it it results in a lifestyle change because it's one thing to say, I want to eat healthy. And when I go to the grocery store, I'm really going to try to pick out some, some healthy produce. It's another thing when you have a box of it that shows up once a week. <laughs> you got to figure out how to eat it like, or, or can it, or I, I know, I know people have done it who suddenly, you know, discovered how to can or like, you know, began doing that because they got so much. Right. And the farms will put in uh, tips on, okay, what does one do with this herb or what does one do with this uh, particular kind of produce? Herbs. That's another thing. never tried before. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, in terms of um, – so and is the growth, has it just continued to just kind of bump up every single year? Actually, we saw an intense period of growth um, about from 2007 to 2012. It's actually plateaued a little bit, and part of that is because any time any industry grows goes through that that rapid of growth, you're you're going to have some plateauing, kind of yeah. shaking out there. You're going to have some farms that you know, okay, maybe this really isn't what we want to do, and so they go away, and other farms are like, no, we want to get into this because we know how to do this, and we're going to do it. So. Over the last three to four years, our number number of CSA farms is pretty steady. And I think that's a good thing because I think it means that we're seeing that market stabilize. We're seeing producers kind of get that system figured out and, and the customers. You know, some customers try a CSA and they say, mm, you know what, I love eating local and I love eating healthy, but I want to go to the farmer's market every week. And right. if I get a box at my doorstep, then I don't do that anymore. But, but I do think it's interesting that you point that the biggest growth, the explosion was from 2007 to 2012, I think you said, yeah. which is obviously the recession. And, yeah. and so for those who are thinking, God, this sounds really expensive, obviously there are a lot of Minnesotans who made that choice saying, hey, right. this is actually a deal. So listen, Paul Huguenin, uh, again, it's minnesotagrown.com. That's correct. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, and really cool. Obviously, a lot of people enjoying this. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, in just a few seconds, we're going to go to the latest uh, from London, uh, where there has been an apparent terrorist attack. There are casualties, and we will get the latest from CBS News in a special report from London. 7.54 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Uh, as I've been saying, we are continue to monitor the situation uh, in London where there has been uh, an apparent terrorist attack. Uh, that is what Pre- uh, Prime Minister Theresa May is calling it. Uh, there are attacks at at least three different locations in London, popular places. Uh, the London Bridge, a, a prime tourist spot, also some popular areas uh, for nightlife and dining, uh, multiple casualties. Uh, and also multiple fatalities. Uh, CBS News uh, will bring you the latest at the top of the hour and throughout the next hour uh, from CBS News. Also next hour, I will be visiting with my friend Professor David Schultz uh, of Hamlin University and also the University of Minnesota Law School. Uh, A lot to talk about with Professor Schultz. Uh, One of the things I think we're going to start with, though, is uh, President Trump tweeting really within an hour of this attack that this attack is actually a reason why his travel ban, his proposed travel ban, should in fact uh, be put into place. And it was just a few weeks ago that the travel ban, an appeals court, once again struck down what is actually the revised version of the president's travel ban. Uh, the president saying he is going to take this travel ban uh, to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, Professor Schultz will get his take on that. Uh, as well as the implications uh, for what this means uh, in terms of you know the global fight on terrorism and also the president's own agenda. I uh, also want to talk to uh, Professor Schultz about the president's uh, really remarkable announcement earlier this week that the U.S. was withdrawing from the Paris Global Agreement on Climate Change, uh, leaving the U.S. Uh, one of just uh, a very few number of nations who will not be taking part, who are not agreeing to what the Paris talks actually stand for. I believe the other nations might be Nicaragua and Syria. Uh, so we'll correct. get his take yes. on that. And then also um, uh, the legislature, it's, it's never easy at the Minnesota legislature. 
Uh, yes, the budget bills were signed. Yes, it looks like a government shutdown has been avoided. But the latest is is that the Republican legislature is going to try and sue Governor Dayton. Uh, we'll be interested to hear what uh, Professor Schultz his thoughts are on that. I mean, that to me is sort of a new one. I mean, just when you think you've seen it all, you haven't seen it all. So folks, a a very, very busy evening. Keep it right here. Um, Esme Murphy with you until nine o'clock coming up after the news at the top of the hour, the latest in London and Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.